Well, we are in the final week, a four-week series we titled uh, Life Under Pressure, and you asked for it was the specificity of this. You specifically wanted to talk about this issue of mental illness. And before we jump into the very passage we're going to look at, jump into the topic, I want you just to consider with me, just remember back, are you familiar with the game Keep Away? Or there was called other names, just raise your hands if you know the game Keep Away. Now, as a shorter person, when that game was played, it was very angering to me, and I found ways to hurt the people that wouldn't give me things, so I cheated, uh, which is no part of the story. It's just a, still an ongoing bitterness I carry. Uh, but I want to tell you, one of the things that's always interesting to me is how people decide to research different aspects of human behavior. So one of these areas of researching is someone decided, hey, we should research how people respond when you play keep away with them. Only they put a whole group of people together, did this multiple times, and told everyone except one person they'd get the ball, and told everyone except the one person that they wouldn't give that one the ball, or whatever it was. So they began to play this game, and they did this multiple times, and the same pattern emerged every single time. Just picture yourself, you're the one in the middle, everyone else is getting it at first, what would you do? Well, you might laugh, you might think it's funny, you might at some point in time, you know, yeah, that's really funny, and pretty soon it changes from funny to irritating, and then where everyone gets over time when they're not included and alone is they give up. They walk away. They're just done because they're isolated, and no one is there for them, and they feel it. I share that with you because that is a posture in the midst of what we're going to talk about is the sense that people live in isolation when we talk about mental health and mental illness. Anyone who deals with this oftentimes feels a stigma attached to it, something that keeps us from sharing with others, some sense that we did something to cause this, or we're embarrassed of a loved one who has it, or the behaviors embarrass us. And I wanna be honest as we enter into this, one of our deepest desires is to remove stigmas, is to take away from this this idea of isolation and pain and loneliness that so many have. Now, before we move farther into it, I do want to give at least a brief overview of what we're talking about when we talk about mental illness because it's a broad understanding and a broad construct, and I can't do it justice, but let me just give you some categories to help us put our minds around what are we even asking about, and let's be clear, under pressure and in all that we've been under, it's escalated and elevated dramatically in the last year for many of us. And let me say this again, at any time, any pinpoint time, one in five of us will have a mental health issue. Over our lifetimes, half of us will. So in a sense, almost all of us in some way or other will come face to face with these kinds of issues and struggles. So, so think of it this way, there's a category of anxiety, that's what we actually talked about last week in specifics, and there's all sorts of gradations of that, how severe it is, how immobilizing it is, which will be true of every kind of mental illness. There'll be some, and some levels of it, people can function and do day-to-day -day life. There'll be others that they get more severe and less able to function in day-to-day -day living. And we recognize that's one of the pains of all of this. There's lots of kinds of anxiety. There's panic attacks, there's phobias, there are social anxieties. There's OCD, probably the one that people refer to the most. Anytime they're detailed, they say, I'm so OCD, but it's not true at all. Because if someone has OCD, they actually have a, an inability for their mind to stop firing on the same things. It's not just an attention to detail. So we even misunderstand them. 
There are different kinds of disorders like mood disorders. We have things like depression and all sorts of kinds of depression that we don't even talk about. One that's become much more available or people are more easy to share has been postpartum depression. We find these uh, women have, after they're having children, they look at their little ones and think, I should love this little baby, and they're just depressed and don't know how to manage that or how to live in it. And it used to be everybody felt ashamed, and now much better. People are going, wait a minute, this is a con- something's happening. All kinds of depression that hit us. We have issues that are, are broader, like bipolar, where there are unique kind of behavioral disorders where you can move from depression to almost a euphoria and somewhere in between all sorts of different kinds of this where there's just a constant anger and agitation. We have the heavier ones of psychosis where people disconnect from who they are, the things we've traditionally talked about in larger kinds of disorders. We have disorders that are personality driven, things like narcissism and borderline personality disorders, things we hear a lot about these days more because we're telling everybody who else is like that. Then we have eating disorders, mental health disparity that happens over food and body image and all sorts of outplays of that. We have mental health issues and mental illness that comes through trauma. I still look back, you know, the years I spent in social work and how many young teenagers I dealt with that were chronically abused and all the trauma they'd been through and the outplay of the disorder and pain and mental illness that came from that. And then we have things like addiction disorders, those people who are struggling with impulsive activities. Whatever the bandwidth and whatever the severity, what we know is we tend to isolate, don't we? We either isolate ourselves or if we love someone and are near them, we tend to isolate even with or around them, that we live in this lonely posture all by ourselves. And a simple idea that we want to gain in this, that we'll look much more in deeply at it and look at Jesus' response, is something we say around here, which we talk regularly, together because life is messy. It's a great tagline. And we love saying, hey, you know, we're together because life is messy. But this is entering a mess that scares us sometimes and we don't know how to respond. It's a mess that we can't fix a lot of times and can't say, well, if you just take this step, it'll get better. And so a lot of times what happens is we don't live together in it, or we believe a lie if we're dealing with it that we're meant to be alone and no one else is around us. And make no mistake, this is not new. It's one of the things I love about Scripture is that it's honest and it's real. I want to show you just briefly, these are four people who were highly applauded in Scripture that struggled deeply with these kinds of struggles in isolation. This is Jonah. And he says this, depression haunts my days. At night, my bones are filled with pain, which gnaws at me relentlessly. Does that not sound horrible and isolating? I am all alone and I'm tormented by this loneliness and the pain I feel in it. And make no mistake, I want to be clear on this. We are not here to tell you to pull yourself up by your bootstraps or take one simple step and it gets better. We're here to say, Never should we live alone in this because it's one of the lies we believe that we should be able to simply overcome and we should do it on our own. Here's another one, Elijah. Elijah has just had a major breakthrough, seen God move heaven and earth, bring fire to earth and suck things dry and do amazing things for it. And he says, I'm all alone. I can't take it anymore. I don't want to live anymore. There's no point. You get the picture that even after great things, Horrible things can come. Here's David, 
the psalmist and the king, probably considered the greatest king in Israel's history. I am worn out from sobbing. All night I flood my bed with weeping, drenching it with my tears. My vision is blurred by grief. You had no idea today was going to be so uplifting, did you? But listen, to get to hope, we have to get into the mess, don't we? Just give you one more. This is another psalmist. This is Psalm 88, and just a section of it. This is one of the psalms that doesn't end positively. It's just the lament. And he says this, I'm forgotten, cut off from your care. You've thrown me into the lowest pit, into the darkest depths. Your anger weighs me down. With wave after wave, you have engulfed me. Like before we go on and look at Jesus, I just want to say to anybody among us struggling, you are not alone and you are seen. And it's a lie when you think you're the only one or it's only you or it's unsolvable and hopeless. And isolation is one of the lies I would say both the enemy and culture says we should believe. You know what? You got to figure this out yourself. It's do it on your own. If you can't pull yourself up by your own bootstraps, if you can't make it happen, it's like that is not true. Just so we're clear, people who struggle with these issues, if they could get better, they would on their own. Like, let's not believe a lie that they're just not performing well enough. And let's acknowledge that there's pain and suffering we don't understand. One of my biggest heartaches in our current time in history is we are so unempathetic to one another, meaning we don't really understand what others go through. So we project our own circumstance onto them and say, if I, if, oh, I feel like this now. If I had that, I'd do this and I'd get out of it. And, and I just want to tell you it's not true. It's not true at all. Let's be with each other. Let's learn what it means to live in the mess together instead of pretending it's not a big deal or we would fix it if it were up to us because guess what? God made us a little better to do things than others. It's not true. I want to take you to Jesus to just show how not true it is. And even have you see how Jesus walked the earth. And I think this is really important because we tend to think God is removed from all of this and doesn't consider what life is like for us or really understand it. So I'm going to take you to a prophecy. This is before Jesus walks the earth, but it's about who he will be and who he is. And a lot of the prophecies, in fact, if you're investigating Christianity, you should just Google prophecies about Jesus and see how many of them are fulfilled because there's over 300 that come to be that more have to do with where he is and who he is and how things happen. This is much more of a prophecy about his inner world and what life is like when Messiah will come. And what I want you to find interesting as we start to look at this is just before this section of the prophecy, it tells how God will send a Messiah and kind of majestically and powerfully he will change the world. But this is how then it's described of this Messiah. It says this, he grew up before him like a tender shoot. This is now talking about when Jesus will come. He's like a root out of a dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. And, and you can see the words that I've highlighted for you. I mean, a tender shoot, a root out of dry ground. This is all about being nothing and being even in a place that things don't grow. No majesty, no beauty, nothing to attract us or desire him. In essence, what he's saying is when Messiah comes, he will be unseen and unknown. Like the God of the universe doesn't simply show up to live, die, and rise again so we're forgiven. He shows up in pain and suffering and being unknown. I wonder how many of us that struggle with mental illness feel unknown. 
and think nobody understands or knows and they think we're alone and unseen. And I go, I'm sorry, this is amazing to me. The God of the universe came to be unknown, to be with you in your unknown and unseenness. Like he doesn't just come to solve it, he comes to go, I'm with you, I'm gonna endure this like you endure it. You think no one sees you, and I do, because I'm with you in it. That's really what he's saying by being there. And it goes on, it gets worse, kind of. Now, not only is he unseen, he's despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering, familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he's despised, and we held him in low esteem. This is not just being unknown, this is being unwanted and rejected. Despised, rejected, suffering, pain, low esteem. I mean, every time I read these verses, all I think about is how people that deal with mental illness, they deal with depression or anxiety or larger disorders that are more destructive in their lives that somehow we feel less than as if people just don't want to be around us and we're of less value. I go, Jesus didn't just come to be unseen, he came to be unloved and rejected so that we'd be with him in it, not alone. I mean, I, I hope this translates in your life because for me, it is so incredibly hope-filled to know that the God of the universe didn't just come as kind of a payment. He came to be in the midst of being unknown and being rejected. And I'm telling you, for many of us that go through these bouts or even lifelong struggles with mental illness, we just don't believe God's with us. And the whole story of Jesus is right here. I often have people ask me, you know, what, where's God in this? Why isn't he solving all these problems? And they want this answer. Like, here's a, here's a mathematical answer for what Jesus is going to do to make it better, which there are things he does. But the crazy part is Jesus never answers why they're suffering. He just says, I'm going to enter it with you. My very life and the way I live will enter suffering with you. Isn't that crazy? I will enter being unseen. I will enter being unknown. I will enter rejection. And you might think, well, look, Jesus healed all these people and they loved him. They did not love him. When he healed, they just wanted what he gave them. They didn't want him. And it moved from them loving him to wanting to kill him. It's, it's not really that they were inspired by him. And 30 of his 33 years were in anonymity. And only a few were in public life. And the public life ones didn't go the way you'd want them to. Make no mistake, what we hear from God is not it's all gone, it's I'm here with you in the midst of it. In fact, he takes it yet another step in all this, in it being familiar, I've lived through it. I am living in it because I know it with you. You're not alone in all of this. And then he takes it even further. He took up our pain and bore our suffering, yet we considered him punished by God, stricken and afflicted. It's a beautiful thing to know the God of the universe came to take on our pain and suffering. And we always equate it with our sin, which we should. It speaks to that. He's taking on the pain and suffering we cause from our own sin. But it's a much broader view of pain and suffering than just what we cause ourselves to the pain and suffering in this life. It's a crazy thing. We tend to read scripture and hear Jesus say pain and suffering or someone else. Go, oh, that's only persecution. It's like, no, no, no. Jesus entered the pain and suffering of humanity, all of it, from horrible, despairing mental illness to physical trauma and pain to chronic hurtful things to abuse, you name it, he entered it. 
and takes it on himself. And that's the crazy part about all this. So Jesus suffers, he dies, and he brings new life out of it. But what he promises is not that means through his resurrection everything is just great. And that's what we tend to believe, especially in our culture. You know what? Jesus rose. I should feel better. I'm just fine. I read my Bible a little bit more and I talk to him more, all that mental health stuff will just get better. And, and there are blessings in that. Don't get me wrong. But it's not a simple, easy fix. In, ca- in case you don't know this, we know that Jesus suffered, but you know his early followers did too. Paul, this early follower who does lots of amazing things, all sorts of people get healed. And it says this of Jesus and all of his early disciples, they healed every kind of disease, meaning physical, they delivered people of demonic oppression, and they healed them of mental and other kinds of despair, all of it. Now, the crazy part was, do you know that Paul had a, had a thorn in his flesh, something he never got healed from? Do you know that lots of people do, even when we pray for them? It's a simple thing that Jesus wants to bring hope and peace even in suffering and even in freedom. See, it's not either or, it's both and. He literally says this to his followers. As he's getting ready to go to the cross, as he's with them on the last evening, he says this. I told you all these things. He shared what's going to happen. I'm going to die. I'm going to rise. There's going to be new life. But guess what? I want you to have peace. In this world, you're going to have trouble. In this world, it's going to be difficult. In this world, there will be heartache. In this world, there will be pain. In this world, you may suffer. But take heart, I've overcome the world. That Jesus is saying, guess what? I'm offering to give you peace in suffering and in freedom. It's not a peace that's contingent on everything getting better. It's a peace that comes in the midst of circumstances too. And I want this to be clear because we pray, we seek, and we look for healing, and we believe it happens, but not all the time. So we need to be clear, Jesus brings hope in suffering and in freedom. Jesus brings hope in all of this with mental illness and mental pain and disparity. And I want you just to have a simple example of this. It's Jordan Otten from our church courageously said, hey, I'll tell a little of my journey in anxiety. And you'll hear just through his story how God's meeting him and how even in the midst of the struggle, transformation's happening. Take a look. We're going to need to restart that. We can't hear it. I could try to lip read, but it's really not going to go very well if I do, so. I promise your hearing's not failing. Should I have them talk? Oh, there we go. Hi, my name is Jordan Naughton. I've been attending All Shores for five years now. Anxiety has always kept me in a circle um, and a bubble um, and has prevented me from really stepping out of my comfort zone and uh, branching out and trying new things and meeting new people. Uh, Anxiety had progressively gotten worse for me and um, I felt like I couldn't uh, I couldn't admit it. I felt like I would be admitting that I had a problem with me and that that it would be confirming. It was one night in particular that had reached that low point and um, I had cried out to God that he would just show me something, show me, give me peace, show me that he was there with me, uh, walking this journey of anxiety with me, that I wasn't alone. 
So the next morning I got up and after I had prayed and had that prayer with God, I got up and I opened up my Bible and the first thing that I turned to was Romans 8:28. for we know in all things God works for the good for those who love him. And that just, I, the, the wave of peace that brought over me when I read that, like I knew right away that that was God. I knew that like he had just, he had met me at that low point in my life. What I've learned from this experience is that sometimes we have to go through the hard things in life to uh, get closer to God. I know I will always deal with anxiety in life, but how I deal with it now has changed. Uh, now I know I can uh, approach God with it. After I had that uh, encounter with God, I, I knew I had to change the way I did things in life and not just stay home and, and continue to live in that comfort zone, but to break out of that comfort zone. So that, that led me to uh, greeting at church. The idea of greeting was nerve-wracking for me because um, because I deal with anxiety and the meeting the new people, but I really felt that push. I really felt that that was the direction God was leading me. Ever since then, it's, it's the highlight of my week. Now, I love Jordan's courage. You know what, I'm gonna be honest, this is my vulnerability. And even that breaks the power of shame and the confusion that somehow you're less than because you struggle. I loved hearing too that as he was led by God and read scripture, the written word became the living word. It wasn't the information that changed, it was that he sensed God's presence saying, I'm here. I'm giving you hope. I'm actually giving you hope in the midst of your suffering and your struggle. And something profound helps him move on and continue on because of that. See, Jesus is meeting him moment by moment and day by day, not one dramatic shift, but in what he needs in that place. And then it would lead him, or the person with severe social anxiety, to greet. Tell me that's not miraculous. And tell me that doesn't even get at what we're talking about, that this is being together. You see, the greatest power we bring is how Jesus has given us his spirit to be present with each other. That the whole idea of being together is saying just like Jesus suffers for and with us, we suffer for and with each other. That we actually sit in the midst of pain and sorrow and struggle. Do you know, I have never had great wisdom or words for people in these struggles, but I have been present. And the best thing is to say, listen, I don't know what to do, but I'm here. And, you know, I, I keep a prayer list. Anytime someone tells me, I pray, and I keep praying, and I keep praying, and I keep praying. And one of the joyful things, I do this with physical issues and other things. I have watched things heal slowly over time. I've seen dramatic things heal, and I've seen God just give people what they need moment by moment. But I am going to annoy him with my questions of asking to help. And I don't really believe it annoys him. I think he cherishes it. So what if you and I said, listen, we're going to be together in this thing. And I, and I want to give some clarity to what I mean by together, because if it's just, well, hang out. And I want us to be clear as a church what we believe about this, because this is a broad spectrum. This is spiritual. This is physical. This is emotional. All of these things matter. So what we would say to you is, listen, part of this is 
If you're struggling, it's going to see your doctor. It's making sure they check all of your chemistry, that it's everything from vitamin deficiencies to thyroid issues to testosterone deficiencies to other hormone problems, that why would we not look at the physical? By the way, Jesus brings who he is through general revelation, meaning the sciences and the ways around us. That's part of this. Some of you will be on medication and need medication, and we celebrate that those things have been made to help us. We just want you to be informed about them and ongoing working together with them. And I will tell you this as a side note, because it's one of my heartaches over, over what I would say is the HIPAA laws are difficult when it comes to mental illness, because I get people's privacy with physical problems, but with mental illness, you need the people around you informing as well to help us get a full picture. I don't think it is going well. I'm not sure that they can see this. Like, I wish there was a better way we were together even in a, working on those things. And I would encourage you, if you're not, to be. I'm gonna tell you one thing, and it's not necessarily a together thing, but it is a basic piece all of us should know. So whenever someone struggles with mental illness and mental health, there are three things that will help them that are just basic things. It's gonna sound silly. Sleep getting good night's sleep and sleeping at a reasonable time and getting enough sleep. I know that sounds crazy, but it's true. Uh, exercise, meaning it helps your body as it's, and, and how you eat. And they sound silly, but why would we add vulnerabilities we don't need? So I'm just telling you, man, those are things to work on apart from all this other. Some of you and some of us, we need to talk to a counselor. We need therapists that help us work through. They have great skills in helping us manage and learn how to process these different parts of us that we're struggling with, that whether we're in deep depression or in anxiety or in different kinds of disorders, they can help us. I've seen the fruits of that. We have Ralph here at our church that does that. We work deeply with Mosaic, especially for people that don't have resources. And then we have great places like Pine Rest in Town that you can go to that we'd go, boy, we want you to get that help. But we want to take it into what's the church's role? Because guess what? This is a spiritual issue too. It's not either or. And we've seen great things happen. We've watched as people walk together down these roads for new hope and new life to come. Just not being alone and being in community changes it. We've watched through our prayer ministry that we have, and that's, I'll show you the site for those things too, but we've watched people go through pretty significant freedom points when they've been struggling at the roots of some of these areas that are beautiful and wonderful. And we want the whole gamut of care for you. We want you not to walk alone in this, that Jesus wants to bring hope in suffering and in freedom, that it's together, but we want you to take steps, not alone. And so just go to our site, allshores.org, and slash life under pressure. We have everything from some book ideas to some group studies to our prayer ministry to several different counseling options that we want to encourage all of those pieces that we would grow in these things together and walk together in them. And I just want to say it again. <laughs> Listen, half of us will wrestle in some way with mental illness. Many of us deal with it all the time and deal around us, and we just deal alone. We believe a lie that there's something wrong with us or the person around instead of we should walk together in this. And I kind of want to go, listen, let's have the courage of Jordan, and let's start sharing our stories more. Let's start letting people walk with us, and let's ask God to give us compassion for those who struggle when we don't. And let's not let this be something that we push aside. We either over-spiritualize it and think if we only do this, it'll get better, or we send it to the clinical people and say, we're not going to talk about it. When we go, Jesus came to be in suffering with us, to live in a way that was unseen and rejected, to take that on himself, to bring us hope, 
both in suffering and in freedom. Come on. There is more to life than simply getting to heaven when we die. There is life now and hope now and what Jesus wants for us now. Moment by moment, both dramatic and even just in a moment of giving us what we need at that time. I, I will say this about it. Whatever struggles you have, it is one of the joys I have uh, when I consider eternity. And you get this more as you get older because as you get older, your body starts to break down. And you're like, you know what? That, that, that leg is never gonna work like it did before. I'm never gonna run like that. And if I have one more bout of plantar fasciitis, I'm gonna beat a wall. But you go, when I'm in heaven, I'll have a new body. Do you know any torment that you manage and God meets you in even in this lifetime when you're with him forever will be gone? Complete oldness. And we're looking for him to give us marks of that now that will ultimately be true everywhere. That is a great hope, isn't it? Let me pray for us. Lord, I, uh, you know, I feel the weight of this. I can't imagine, God, how you see it. Um, I just pray that you'd minister to people where their heartache is there. Holy Spirit, would you bring hope where there's hopelessness? Would you lift those up that somehow feel less than in this? Would you carry those who have to walk with others in it? And God, we are asking for freedom. We're saying we don't really know how to fully bring it, but we're asking you to show us how to bring the power of resurrection in profound ways as well as momentary ways. So Lord, would you meet us and do what only you can do? And would you tear down lies that we're meant to be alone and show us how we're meant to be together? Give us supernatural understanding of the hurts and pains of others that we'd have more compassion in this too. I pray this in your name, amen.